0: Hey everyone, it's Greg, the ski physical therapist, back again with another episode of the Legacy Podcast. Today, Dave, who is a mountain guide in Chamonix, comes onto the show to talk about his tibial plateau injury. He originally hurt his knee in 2011, and after many years of discomfort, made the decision last year to have the metal removed. He talks about the mental challenges of knowing he would have the most recent surgery and what he did after to build back his leg to be completely strong and pain-free. Now he is back to skiing better than ever and wants to encourage you with his story. So let's welcome him onto the show. Hey Dave, welcome to the show. Really appreciate you coming on today. Um, For those that don't know you, Dave, who are you and what do you do?
1: Yeah, so I'm a IFMGA guide based in Chamonix, so, uh, you know, my day-to-day job is taking people into the mountains on skis uh, and also climbing. Uh, and outside of that, I also do a lot of mountain biking. And I run a small mountain biking business as well called Switchback Chamonix, which aims to provide a uh, kind of workshop assistance for people. Uh, so it's like servicing suspension, stuff like that. So... Um, Yeah, and I'm really passionate about creating uh, good quality content that helps people to develop their mountain knowledge. And that's something that I've been getting into a lot in the last few years.
0: That's super cool. I think just providing more content for free and allowing people to just see what equipment you need to get out there and just empowering them is super awesome. Throughout the process of you just building your um, brand of marketing to mountain biking and skiing. Have you ever been injured in that process? And if so, how has that affected your ability to do what you love?
1: Yeah. So back in 2011, I broke my tibial plateau, which is kind of like the top part of the tibia. So and my understanding of that injury is that there's different levels of severity. And I know a few people who've had the same injury and with more severe consequences and it's really encouraging to see that even those people are back you know at skiing and and all that kind of stuff my injury wasn't super severe I was actually kind of uh, I had to be off my uh, off my leg for about six weeks and then it was a bit of a process to then build uh, back up to be able to ski again um and I left the metal work in my knee because I had to have, uh, I think it was six or seven screws and a metal plate. And I left that in for about 10 years and I didn't basically really think about it um, that much, but it it always caused me a little bit of pain and discomfort. And actually last year, I sort of uh, went to see a surgeon and they helped me go through the process of removing that metal. And it's actually been a lot better since taking it out which has been awesome Um, and it's giving me a lot more confidence to like do the sports that I do so yeah it's really cool but that that process of kind of um, going into an operation that you know is going to happen was actually kind of nerve-wracking because I think when you have an injury um, you know it's kind of like one minute you're skiing along and then the next minute you're in a hospital, you know, and you don't really have time to think about it. Whereas when you kind of go for um, a surgery that's maybe taking something out of you, that's actually a little bit more difficult to deal with in some ways because there's a sort of date in the calendar and you're trying to do everything that you can to kind of prepare for that date. And then you know that after that date, you're not really going to be able to do the things that you were doing before. So, Yeah, I did struggle with that a little bit and it was kind of quite nerve wracking.
0: Yeah. So 10 years, that's a quite a long time to deal with discomfort in the knee. Obviously, like whenever you had discomfort, I'm sure you had the mental process of like, is something wrong with my knee? Is it just the hardware? Um, What ultimately led, would you say, to the decision of you knowing, hey, maybe I need to get this hardware taken out and knowing that it was going to come at the sacrifice of not being able to do activity afterwards?
1: Yeah, good question. I mean, I think I got to, so I've, I've actually, so I'm I'm from the UK, but I live in France, and I was, for a little while, I was in this kind of hazy ground of not really, I was kind of between two health systems, so I had kind of health insurance that would cover me for emergencies, but it wouldn't really cover me for for, for kind of operations like that, so I was kind of between the systems for a little while, and then I managed to get into this, the French system, and I was able to sort of create that Um, opportunity to take the metal out and then it was about kind of me deciding deciding to do it and then also deciding what time of year to do it as well I had to do it at the time of year that would impact the least into my business of guiding so I had to make sure that it was sometime in the off season basically and I and I and I got in early and I spoke to the surgeon early and we picked a date well in advance so that I could make sure that it was like set to be the, the right day and and um I think going through that process it was a little bit longer than I maybe wanted it to be it would have been nice to have kind of had that process be a bit shorter because I ended up having to think about it for quite a long time. Um but yeah the day came round and you know I was kind of nervous but I went down and did it and then you know I was very mentally prepared for what it was going to be like you know um and the and, you know, everything went as they, they said it would. They said, oh, yeah, you'll be walking out of the hospital the same day that you have the plate out. So, you know, no worries. And then, you know, it's about just kind of getting it mobile and moving and everything. And, you know, that first uh, couple of weeks, I think, is always the worst when you have an operation like that, when you have like bandages and staples and stitches or whatever in the in the knee um and I and I feel like well you correct me if I'm wrong but as a physical physical therapist like that's almost like um that's not really your time to shine it's kind of like you're you're sort of supporting people through that little period and just trying to maybe get the need moving or get things working again but it's not really you know it's like there's not a huge amount that you can do I don't know correct me if I'm wrong <laughs>
0: Uh yes and no. I would say in the early stages of rehab, it's really all about just building that range of motion and decreasing the pain and kind of normalizing function again. But then once you kind of have that range of motion and you're able to start loading the tissues, then it becomes more specialized in terms of what you can do to get back to sports. So that's kind of where I specialize to help skiers get back to skiing in particular.
1: Yeah. 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 And and um, for me, I was doing this whole process in like, uh, November times it was right ahead of the ski season, uh, so I knew that I wasn't going to be firing an off four cylinders or whatever at the start of the winter. But I kind of came to that. Um, I I was okay with that, and and I did a lot of free training before I did the operation, so I was feeling kind of as strong as I possibly could, or almost as strong as I've ever felt actually before having operation. I think that was a really big. Um, big help Uh, and then actually when the ski season started you know I felt totally normal I felt totally great so that whole process um, in the end it played out really well Um, but yeah psychologically yeah just going into that thing at the start was a bit (laughs) nerve-wracking
0: Yeah, I'd love to just reemphasize what you just said about getting the preparation done before you actually had the surgery. I know there's a few people that listen to the podcast or that follow me that maybe have ACL tear, and a lot of them ask, is it possible to get back to skiing without having surgery? For a very small percentage of the population, they're going to be able to get back to that. But for those that attempt to do um, skiing without surgery, and it fails, and they ultimately need the surgery, they're going to be in the same situation that you were in for that hardware removal where now you have a surgical date planned, you have this anticipation building up through that. And I think getting as much preparation as you can, like you've said, for the training, at least leading up to that, means that the training afterwards, you don't have to do as much because you've already taken care of that before you've had the surgery. Now, you were talking about some of the mental anxiety kind of going into that. Were there any strategies or any things that that you found that was particularly helpful for you leading up to surgery and then maybe directly after surgery that helped you get through some of those mental hurdles
1: yeah for sure i mean having having the time to be able to do a lot of training and do a lot of um like preparation like you're saying you know it's it's really good to to do that i think that actually helped me mentally i was like okay the stronger i can be the sooner i can kind of bounce back from this the second surgery and the sooner i can feel more normal on the skis again so you know i was putting all my available energy into training um at the start of or you know sort of at the end of the summer last year uh, moving forward into into the fall and then you know i was feeling and and i think that really helped me um not think about the the surgery too much and kind of get too nervous about it and then you know just being very committed to it as well i think like you know i could have very easily backed out of that and just been like you know actually um i maybe i don't need to do this you know it's kind of scary being cut open and you know having somebody go in and do stuff but actually you know i also made made myself believe that things were going to be much better afterwards and and that was that was a really important thing as well i was it was kind of saying to myself okay yeah, yeah, there is a problem. You know, there is a problem. It needs fixing, and I need to to go in and do that. And I think that would be the same for somebody with, you know, an, an ACL tear or something like that. Touch wood, never had uh one of those. It sounds much worse than than uh my injury for sure. Um, but yeah, I mean I've I've seen a lot of people go through ACL problems as well. And of the people that have gone through it, the people who've done the best out of it have been the people who've put in a huge amount of time and energy into training uh before doing that surgery they've always been the people that have come out the best so
0: yeah i absolutely see that on my end as well so true um now leading up to the ski season obviously you're preparing a ton did you have any mental hurdles like when you first clicked back into your skis and started actually going down the ski hill
1: it did feel a bit weird to start with yeah i mean you know, the way that the surgeon was describing my surgery, because he's taking like six screws out of my tibial plateau, he's like, you know, it's kind of like, it's kind of like Swiss cheese, you know, he was like, there's kind of holes in the, in the bone, you know, it's not going to be as strong as a normal bone. So you need to take it slow. And, you know, and that did affect me um, in feeling 100% to start with, because I was kind of like, well, what if I have a heavy landing or something or you know, accidentally hit something that's hard, you know, that could really that could set me back or it could be, you know, kind of catastrophic and and start starting again. So I was I was holding back to start with. And then at some point I had to kind of get over that fear because, you know, it's kind of like, okay, it's been a, a decent amount of time now. The bone should be kind of fully um b- bone rather than you know just with a bone with holes in it so um so when i got over that it was you know i started feeling like i was skiing a lot better for sure
0: yeah a common a common question i get for that recovery process is like when when did you make the choice to go just from like skiing on piece to transitioning back to putting on skins and actually skinning up was that right away or did you take some time and how did you know it was like the right time for you to put on those backcountry skins to get uphill
1: yeah so I was I, I did start doing some um backcountry we call it sort of ski touring um and I was very careful to make sure that I was either skiing you know kind of easy groomed snow back down um or taking a lift down to start with you know um which is something that we have the luxury of having out here is you know they have groomed uh groomed runs that you can come back down on um so i t- to start with I was doing that or i was certainly going to places where i knew there was no rocks or you know where it's just kind of bushes and and snow on top so i was I was kind of Making sure that I was choosing my my battles, and if anything was feeling weird or I wasn't feeling strong or I wasn't feeling confident with it, then I would just kind of leave it and go default back to to doing some kind of gym training or or something else that might be kind of more useful with that time. But I think it certainly it certainly feels very refreshing when you do get out on those skis for the first few times and like backcountry skiing, you know, ski touring uphill was definitely a lot easier than trying to jump onto, you know, the ski hill or something like that and trying to, you know, ski kind of chopped up snow and things like that. So.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's one joy of skiing in the back country. You kind of get those softer lines to help aid the, the knee. And honestly, you're not skiing as much vert going down, which I feel like is more impact than going up. So I think you're spot on with like your transition back. Um, Would you say that by the end of the season, that season, your knee was feeling back to normal or how long did it take for you to get back to feeling normal?
1: Yeah, so it feels it feels pretty much back to normal, except um, I do have a little bit of um, kind of scar tissue left or the, the scar is kind of still a little bit stuck down. Um, And it's something that I try and make sure that I'm doing the massage myself and also trying to see um, a physical therapist to to help, you know, they, you know, you can help with, with kind of breaking up that tissue. Um, But then I sort of find that I don't have enough time. I'm very busy with, with work and family life and everything. So um, trying to actually sit down and work that tissue out is, is a little bit. Um, it takes a bit of a back burner of some, so that's the only thing that's kind of um not perfect that could uh, you know definitely do with a little bit more uh work, but everything else you know it feels it feels great so and I would have said that yeah, certainly probably by mid to late winter, it was feeling kind of back to how I felt, so yeah it was it was a pretty good recovery, I'd say for that.
0: Yeah, that's that's honestly very quick and very fortunate to be able to get back to activity at full function, minus the scar tissue, you know, but uh, that takes a long time to work out just because that collagen, how it's laid down, um, just gets really stiff. So it's a constant battle that even I work with people that have had ankle surgeries for a really, really long time. Um, mm-hmm. Now, you mentioned that you're quite busy with business, with doing your own skiing and mountaineering and um, balancing family life. And earlier, you mentioned going to the gym and training. How do you balance all of those things together? And then what do you do specifically for training, for mountaineering, for biking, or just for the activities you do?
1: Yeah, great question. I'm actually um, very fortunate to have a home gym. So I don't, I'm personally not somebody who likes to go to the gym. Um, I I kind of rather like to do that sort of stuff privately um and there's a couple of reasons for that the facilities around here for for gyms are actually pretty bad (laughs) and also i like to be quite time efficient so i'm very fortunate that i've kind of built up this sort of stuff and i have this space um in our in our attic that i can actually work out i feel very fortunate to have that so so that's great and in terms of like balancing all of that I find that, you know, for me, that work is it's very intense through certain periods of the year and then very not intense through other periods. And um, I I do like my main blocks of training in those less intense periods. And then during the intense periods, I'm just trying to make sure that I'm keeping on top of some, you know, basic strength work, some core and stability work. Um, a little bit of stretching. I don't do a huge amount of stretching, actually. Um, I I'm actually feel better not not overstretching. Um, I found that actually um, for me, I'm fairly flexible as it is. I don't need to be more than more flexible than I am. Um, so I'm pretty. There's, there's there are key things that I do need to work on a little bit more. Certain muscles do get tight, and I need to stretch those out for sure. Um, but I don't spend like hours and hours stretching. Um, yeah, so I just kind of trying to fit that in to what I'm doing. If I have a bit of a down day, I'm trying to make sure I do something. Um, and actually, you know, my daughter's quite young uh, and she's, she's like seven months old. So she really likes jumping in this sort of um, call it a jolly jumper. So she loves jumping in this thing. So more or less at the end of each day, I'll like take her upstairs, put her in this little jumping seat thing uh and she kind of hangs out and jumps around in that and i just try and do as much as i can around that and then you know move on with the evening and try and cook and sort gear out and talk to clients for the next day so it's kind of it's a hectic schedule sometimes um, but it's just trying to make it work you know and just trying to fit things in and and trying to yeah uh and then And then, yeah, as work starts to wind down, that's when I'm really sort of focusing more on on training. And I find that I get a lot of base fitness from my work. So I'm not trying to add in a lot more like volume of aerobic stuff on top of what I already do. You know, I kind of get enough from from guiding. And then, yeah, I'm like, and then maybe I'll ramp that up a little bit more as I stop guiding. And then I'll, yeah, it's all about about balance. And And I wish that, Actually, when I was, I wish I'd learned more about this kind of stuff when I was younger. I don't feel like um, I could have potentially been more of an athlete <laughs> at this stage if I'd learned more about it when I was sort of in my uh, late teens, early 20s. Um, so I really would encourage uh, young people to just kind of learn more about this, this sort of stuff because it, it really helps later in life.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And that's something that I try and promote. Um, in just the free videos that I put on or my exercise uh, programs that I put out there as well. One thing that I wanna touch back on, you were mentioning that you don't stretch and that's actually a topic that I really like to talk about because a lot of people message me thinking that stretching uh, they got injured because something was tight or the, if they do the right stretches, they're gonna get like better or rehab faster. And that's actually a fallacy in today's society. And I don't know where we got this idea or notion that if something's tight, we need to stretch it out and that's gonna be the fix. Something gets tight because of a muscle imbalance. And it's because that muscle is working over time to compensate for the muscles that aren't working well. And that's become because it comes tight. So if you're stretching out a muscle that becomes tight, you're more giving yourself a band-aid treatment where you're kind of going and like putting a tape on where the leak is, but you're actually not going and finding like, why did the leak originate in the first place and trying to correct all those things. So yes, yeah, stretching is effective to relieve the pain, but if you really want to get rid of something in the long-term, you really have to find like, why is that muscle working over time? Um, and that's kind of the secret to, to yeah, identifying why muscles get sore or muscles get tight that
1: yeah that's that's exactly how it was described to me and and i you know so and now i know like when something's tight okay yeah stretching is going to help alleviate that pain but it's like actually okay why what let's get to the root cause of it and I, and I don't just kind of i don't just like okay i'm gonna stretch like this 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 and then you know i kind of like i do a bit of stretching basically you know that's that's uh, and it doesn't and I don't feel like the injuries that I have ever really come from the lack of stretching it more like the injuries that I have come from like crashing my mountain bike or, um, you know, some not carrying a bag correctly or so, you know, something, it's something else other than it being that I need to stretch
0: anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Precisely. Cheating. Precisely. Well, Dave, I'm very curious since you are on the mountain a lot, either in the summer on your bike or in the winter um, on skis or on crampons climbing a mountain. Do you have any specific goals or things you're chasing after that people can like follow your YouTube channel, which I'll shout out um, at the at this show as well?
1: Um, yeah, so I'm kind of working on this idea of doing some online courses for. Uh, mountaineering and skiing and ski mountaineering I feel like there's a bit of a gap there for for people to do some kind of at-home learning so if you're interested in that or that kind of um, that kind of topic then you could certainly follow me on Instagram uh, and YouTube um, maybe you're going to leave a link to it but um, I'm at Dave J Searle on Instagram and um, Dave Searle on on YouTube um, and so th- so that's something I'm quite excited about to do in the future and then you know for sort of personal projects and mountaineering things I'm kind of a little bit at the stage where I have a young family um, living in Chamonix with a guiding business quite difficult to fit in you know kind of big expeditions and big remote trips and things like that although I would love to you know do those things again in the future it's just definitely not the time to do that I've done some of that in the past but yeah it's not really where I'm at in my in my life right now um so for me it's it's mostly about yeah having a good few adventures with my friends during the winter around guiding and then also making sure that I'm I'm getting you know good quality adventures done with my clients as well so Yeah, if you're ever looking for a guide in Chamonix, feel free to reach out. If I'm busy, I can always connect you with other people um, in the area as well, who I think are, you know, solid guides and uh, companions in the mountains.
0: Awesome. I would love to maybe come out to Chamonix one day and just like have the full experience. I think if you're going to do it and you're going to go to the Alps, that's the way to do it. Just go all in. Uh, maybe a few days in the resort do a few guided days um and just fully live up the european experience
1: yeah you've got to you've got to experience you know maybe two or three different resorts um at least and then hopefully a couple of different countries as well uh, and just you know eating good food on the mountains big cable cars big descents some backcountry stuff um maybe don't expect it to be amazing snow over here, but good adventures and yeah, it's a, it's a good time.
0: (laughs) Awesome, Dave. Well, thanks so much for coming on the Legacy Podcast today. Really appreciate it. Um, I will definitely tag you and your information in the show notes, but I hope to look forward to seeing you in the future, hopefully back out in Chamonix or out in Chamonix if I'm over there with like Team USA or just over there on vacation to ski.
1: Yeah, thanks, Greg. Thanks for chatting. And uh, yeah, maybe see you out in Chamonix in the next few years.
0: Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of the Legacy Ski Podcast. If you like what you're hearing, please share this podcast with your ski community and follow it so you don't miss another episode. Also, if you have a cool story and would like to be featured on the podcast, please reach out to the team. Lastly, if you're interested in working with me, you can book a strategy call at www.meettheskipt.com where I'll help you figure out the next best steps to keep you moving towards your journey of a lifetime of skiing.